We have been in a, a really neat series uh, that I've been looking forward to for months. In fact, we talked about this uh, more, more than a few years ago, about the possibility of doing a series on abiding. And experiencing God is by uh, Henry Blackaby, if you've ever read his books or workbooks. You know, there's an exciting thought about God wanting to partner with you. <laughs> And knowing God and experiencing God, because that's what eternal life is. It's, it's about knowing God and experiencing God. That's what, that's what it's all about. And so as we are continuing in our series, um, my talk today is going to be called this. It's going to be called Situational Awareness. Situational Awareness. And we're going to be looking primarily at John chapter 5, verses 17, 19, and 20. So I'm going to read that to us here at the beginning. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he is doing, he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Our big idea for today is God is always working around you and invites you to join him. God is always working around you and invites you to join him. That word situational awareness is, is not a it's, a, it's a newer word. Um, reading from Wikipedia, it says situational awareness is knowing where you are and what's going on around you. It allows individuals and organizations to be more alert and informed and to make better decisions. It means being aware and paying attention. Got a couple uh, aircraft there from, uh, from Top Gun Maverick's movie. Uh, situational awareness was critical, is critical, and it probably this terminology was used uh, primarily with uh, the military. It has its roots in the military and where it's historically been linked to effective decision-making in tactical environments. Surviving in combat is also a matter of observing the enemy's current moves, predicting what he will do next, and reacting to what he is able to do. Today, that terminology is used for some other things as well. It isn't just about safety. Much in life reflects and requires effective, real-time decision-making in complex, high-risk environments. Are we getting feedback? I'm getting a lot of feedback. Thank you. I mean, knowing what's going on is important when you're in the military, absolutely, but also in healthcare, knowing what's happening so you can make real-time quick decisions. In public safety, in transportation, in business, Decisions around us all the time, the more understanding that we have of what's actually happening really enables us to make wise and good decisions. And so today, situational awareness isn't just about those things. There's another kind of situational awareness I think that we as Christians need. A spiritual awareness of what God is doing around us with an understanding that God is actually showing you these things so that you'll join with him that you'll connect with what he's doing, that you'll, be a, you'll play a part in what he's doing. And so 
let's pray and ask God to open our eyes. Let's ask God to, to envision us and to help us to see what he's doing so that we can join with him. Jesus, frequently you were addressing crowds and giving them truth and information. And yet for many of them, their eyes were blinded. And the God of this world has an intention to keep us from seeing Christ and to seeing the work of Christ. And Lord, we would be misled and we would be arrogant to think that we can see what you're doing without your aid. We'd be in error if we think that we can understand your word without faith and the help of your Holy Spirit. We would be wrong if we thought that we can actually change ourselves without your work in our lives. Lord, much of what we see and the needs and the people around us, people that we love, situations that we're concerned about, things that, that, that you are aware of, Lord, we don't see what you see and we don't always go to the place and respond the way you would want us to respond. But we come to you today, Lord, wanting to be taught, wanting to learn especially from your son, Jesus. Because this text today really starts with how Jesus was responding, how he was oriented to the Father's work. So, Lord, we ask you to teach us and then to transform us as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first point is God is still at work. John chapter 5, verse 17, we read this. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working now, until now, and I am working. We saw this all the time. We saw this in the, in the Gospels where Jesus you know, was just moving through a city, moving through a situation, and he picked up on something that was happening that we probably normally would have just kind of went past. You know, Zacchaeus up in a tree. You know, a, a woman at the well at the wrong time of day. You know, uh, a centurion coming to him with uh, news of an ill servant. A woman who is having a hemorrhage of blood touching him. And in all those situations, God was doing something. God had set up a situation for his son to join him in. There were times where he had crowds and he was slipping away. There was times where he had crowds that needed to go away so they could eat. And he was saying, no, have them sit down and we're going to feed them. There were times where there were important people for Jesus to talk to. And he saw that there were these children that wanted to talk to him. And he said, no, don't hinder these children because the kingdom of God is for them too. Somehow he could see things that the normal eye doesn't see. He can understand and be aware that God has his hand on a situation or a particular person. And there was something he was supposed to do about that. And not always a way that he could just rationally kind of calculate out, oh, I, I think I need to go share the gospel with that person. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes other responses. But that wasn't just the way that God wanted to, to work with his son, Jesus. That's the way he wants to work with his sons and daughters today. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, a very familiar verse, starting in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Our works can never give us salvation. We can never, we can never earn our way into heaven. The only way we would ever have eternal life is through Jesus, who came and lived a perfect life, offered himself in your place, in my place, as a substitute for sin, judged on the cross, paid for our penalty, was buried and raised from the dead three days later so that you and I would know that that, satisfaction, that satisfied the wrath of the Father. And it says, by grace, which means undeserved favor, you are saved just in believing that putting your trust in that. And it's not your doing. That was God's kindness to give you that gift. It's not because you work hard for him or you do good things. But it goes on from there and it says this about the Christian's life. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not only were we saved by grace, but actually in Christ Jesus, we've been remade. We've been made into a new creation. We're his workmanship. And our purpose, it says here, is for good works that God has prepared beforehand. Before we are doing those works, God is already working. God is already initiating something. God is already in the heart of people and in the mind of people and the circumstances around that person, and he's preparing something to partner with you and I to accomplish. He's prepared them beforehand because God is still at work today. God is still at work today. And many of us understand and believe that, you know, God is sovereign in all circumstances, which is another way of saying God's working right now in all the details. Who you live next to, who you sat next to, who offered you that drink, who's crying over there, those kids that are you know, running around your feet. God's, God's working in all those circumstances. There's something going on in God's plan, and maybe for you to jump in, it may not. Because sometimes we're just, there's so many things happening that we don't see most of what's happening. Um, <clears throat> these last several years, I've gotten involved in some business associations. So I can have opportunities to get to know my, my neighbors here in the, uh, in the Kingsville, Perry Hall, White Marsh business area. And over the years, I've had this conversation with a, a, a gentleman I'll call him John. And John has, you know, been there at some of our events, especially the, the, the community events, and observed our people and was impressed. Saw how you guys are caring for kids at the, at the Perry Hall Fair, and, you know, he was just amazed and, and kind of stood on the outside and kind of just watched and would give me comments over time. He would talk about how, you know, Later on, he would go to his Knights of Columbus meetings, and some of those people would be speaking about Protestants in a not-so-complimentary way, and he would find himself defending the Protestants, though he wasn't, from, he wasn't Protestant. 
because he had seen your lives. And so then he started, he was going to move. He was going to change location. He was actually going to move about five minutes from our church. And he started asking me, what time is the service at your church? I'm thinking, wow, God, you're working. This is exciting. So I started giving him, you know, times and events coming up and never happened. And then about two, three years ago, he said, you know what? I would really like to get together and talk with you. I'd really like to have a breakfast together or something like that. So we set up this appointment at the uh, nearby, at a little nearby restaurant, sitting down, and I'm like, this, God, this is it. This is the time, you know. I'm sure this is the time. And I'm like, this is on me. I'm paying for this one, you know. And we shared our lives, found out about his background. He found out about mine. I'm sure I put the gospel in there somewhere. And, um, and then before we left, he said, you know, we have some new products with our business, and we have some new opportunities. I wonder if, you know, if there would be people in your church who might be interested in this. Like, really, God? You know, this was a business meeting. This was a networking meeting. So I kind of let that one go. Just before Christmas, about a year and a half later, this last Christmas, I got another call from him. He said, hey, we haven't gotten together in quite a long time. I'm thinking, yeah, your end-of-the-year quotas, you probably need to get this one in. <laughs> he said, could we get together? And I said, well, you want to meet at my, my church office? He said, sure, that'd be fine. So we set up an appointment. And I'm even telling people as I'm leaving, I'm going to a business networking meeting right now. And we talked for a little while, and he said, you know what? None of that stuff makes that much difference to me. I've been, having, I've been seeing friends of mine pass away, people dying around me, he said, and, and, I'm, and I really have questions about life, about death, about eternity. And, you know, could you, could we talk about that? And I'm like, absolutely. He says, do you have anything to give me, any materials to give me? And I said, uh, I think so, you know. <laughs> so I'm like giving him books and things like that. And, uh, and I said, it's, you know, Christmas season is going to be busy, but right after that, let's, let's get together. And he says, that'd be great. So anyway, a couple days ago, the Lord just prompted me. He says, you, you need to get back. You need to get back. So I shot him a, a text and I said, hey, you know, we haven't talked. I don't know if you're available, no pressure, you know, but if you'd like to get together, I'm this week kind of busy for me. How about next week? And he goes, and he immediately gets back to me. He says, absolutely. He said, that would be, that'd be incredible. He said, I'm available Monday and Tuesday. I said, well, how about Monday afternoon or Tuesday? He said, he said Tuesday's great. He said, Tuesday's great. He says, I'm getting knee replacements on, on Wednesday, and, you know, I'd love to talk. So this Tuesday, I got an appointment, so you pray with me. You partner with me because God's doing something. I didn't see it coming this time. I was hoping it was coming, but it wasn't coming. God's working around you, too, not just for pastors. Usually pastors kind of get locked into, a, like, the Christian activity and bubble and conversations. But God's working around you, where you are, in your neighborhood, on your job, wherever you are. So God is still at work. Let me show you a picture here. I'm still getting feedback, by the way. I know this is blurry. It's supposed to be blurry. But 
Who doesn't see Jesus in this picture? If you don't see Jesus, put your hand up. If you don't see Jesus, put your hand up. If you don't, about half of them. These people see more Jesus over here than the ones over there. You all, I don't know if it's your angle or whatever, but there he is. So, so during World War II, during World War, during World, nobody's going to listen to me now. During World War II, during World War II, there was, the, the Japanese were invading China, and, uh, and a lot of Christianity was, was being told to different people. And as they were talking to people, uh, he, this man got, was, was, they were talking to him about Jesus. And so his soul was troubled. He said many of his friends were becoming Christians, and he longed to know the truth. And so he prayed. He was, dry, he was, a, he was, a, he was a photographer. He was praying, and he said, Lord, if I could only see your face, I would believe. And in his heart, this non-Christian heard, take a picture, take a picture. So he looked out at the melting snow. He saw pools of water revealing the black earth. It was unattractive. He couldn't see a great shot anywhere. But he went ahead and he took a picture. He took a picture of the ground. And he was very excited. He took it back home. He had it developed. And when he pulled it up, this is what he saw. And I'm sorry for those of you who can't see it, but there's a, once you see, there's a very obvious image of Jesus in this picture. And he saw the face of Jesus in this picture. And as a result, he and many, many, many people over the years have gotten saved. Now, you guys are miserable now, aren't you? Some of you are miserable. Come out in the colonnade afterward, I'll show it to you. Take that down. That's going to torment them. <laughs> God is still at work, and the son sees and, wants to, and joins God's work. Let it go. The son sees and joins God's work. Reading from John chapter 5, it says this. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I said to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus said, said I, don't, I can't do anything unless it's what the Father's doing. Think about that. I mean, if, if Jesus limited himself or, or kind of just stayed in step with, this, with God, think about how much he saw what God was doing around him. He said, I can't do anything of my own accord, only what I see the Father doing. Whatever the Father's doing, that's what I'm doing likewise. You know, we tend to come up with our own plans. We said, Lord, would you just bless this plan of mine? You know, you see my good intention here. You know, I think it's a good plan. Would you bless that plan? And I don't think that's the way we see what Jesus was doing. I think Jesus was aware of the Father and what he was doing, and he did what the Father was doing. He jumped in with what the Father was doing. Philippians 2 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. 
You see, I think if we are to be ones who see what God is doing and join him, we need to put aside our agenda. We need to lay it down and just say, we need to empty ourselves as Jesus did and said, Lord, what do you want to do? What are you about today? What's your plan? What's your agenda, God? What do you want me to see today so I can join and do what you're doing? He joined the Father's work. So, Blackaby said this. He said, when, when God chose to speak up to an individual, to speak to an individual of the Bible, the person knew it was God, and he knew what God was saying. The key to knowing God's voice is not a formula. It's not a method. It's about a relationship. That's why we're talking about, you know, this relationship that God wants to have with you. He wants you to abide and remain and experience him, to know his love, to know his heart. And as we know him, then we will be more discerning and more sensitive to the fact that, oh, I can hear you're speaking to me, Lord. I know you're talking to me. I know you're, I know you're showing me something. And Blackaby also said this. This is the next, this is the one. The moment God speaks to you is the very moment God wants you to respond to him. Think about that. When God tells you something, it's intentionally telling you that time, at that moment. Now, it doesn't mean you're always supposed to respond right away, but he has a reason that he showed you then what he has just shown you. Some of us assume that we have the next three or four months to think about it and try to decide what's it's really God's timing. He speaks to his servant when he is ready to move. And I don't think that, I, I think that that's important for us to be aware of. When God shows you something, he, he wants you to respond, not question it and not over-examine it. And so obviously there's a time where we need to do some examination. But for most of us, we treat we treat. God's impressions, God's words, God's showing us things as, hey, that's pretty interesting. I'm going to think about that for a while. Maybe I'll write that down in my journal and get back to that in next week. Again, we go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God doesn't show us things so we can know things. He shows us things so we can believe and do things. So God is still at work. The son sees and joins God's work. And then this, our third point now is God, God's work delights us. Being a part of what God's showing you, doing what he is engaged in with him, gives such incredible joy in our lives. And by the way, that's one reason I'm so excited about this series we're in, but also this retreat that we're talking about, because I think that there's a sensitivity to the spirit that I've grown in since I've experienced more regularly God's filling in my life. John 5, verse 20, it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. It says that God's doing this because he loves you. He's showing you these things because he loves you. He loves his son. He shows him all that he himself is doing. He's, he's revealing things to you. He's not resistant to show you things. He's, his heart is to show you all that you can probably do and take. All that he himself is doing 
And look at this. Greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. The things that God has already been doing and already done in your life and around you, he even wants to do greater things than that because he loves to get his kids getting marveled. Like, wow, you can even do that? Wow, you can even move that way? Wow, you can provide like that? Wow, I don't know how that came together, but that was amazing. You know, you know how it is, as many of you as parents, you love your kids to get like, wow, like, man, that was so cool. And God's, God knows that about us. He knows that he's got to up the ante again, you know. I'm going to do, okay, we're going to do something even better than that. We're going to go on a higher, you know, uh, ride than that one. We're going to go on a more exciting trip than that last one. He wants you to participate with him. He wants you to see his power. He wants you to see how, how, how he knows what's going on and he works it out in those situations. It, but it's exciting to see what Jesus did, but it's even more exciting to participate. John 20, verse 21 says, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me so I'm sending you. The way the Father sent me, I want, you to, I want you to join the Father too. John 14, verse 10 says, Do you not believe that I and the Father am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Truly, truly, and remember last time we talked about this, truly, truly, that's, that's like, Jesus underlining and highlighting, like, hey, bank on this one. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Truly, truly, I tell you, things that I was doing with the Father, amazing. I'm going to go ask him to do more. I'm going, to go to the, I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say, let's do greater things. God is working behind the scenes. You know, I was thinking about what, there's so many stories I could tell. I was thinking, you know, we, I, want to, I want to draw from the scriptures from the Old Testament for a moment. So I'll look at the book of Esther uh, and kind of summarize it and look at some lessons that we have from that. God is working behind the scenes. You're familiar with King Xerxes, perhaps King Xerxes. A hundred years after the, the Jews went into captivity, the king of the Persian Empire, Xerxes I, threw a lavish party. On the final day of the festivities, he called for his queen, Vashti. This is Vashti. Well, not really, but this is Vashti. <laughs> to flaunt her beauty before his male guests. But the queen refused to appear. Filled with anger, he deposed Queen Vashti and forever removed her from his presence. To comfort him... His advisor suggests he take the, the, the most beautiful women of all the provinces of his kingdom for his harem in Susa, where he lived. And from them, he would choose a new queen. Xerxes was pleased by this advice. Esther, a Jewish maiden, was orphaned at a very young age and adopted and raised by her older cousin, Mordecai. She was one of the, the beautiful young women taken for the king's harem. By Mordecai's advice, she kept her Jewish ethnicity secret. She won favor with those attending 
uh, her for her beauty, by, by her beauty, her character, and her, her submission. After 12 months of beauty treatments, she was summoned by the king. She also won the king's favor and became his queen. Her cousin Mordecai became a minor official sitting at the king's gate. One day in this position, Mordecai uncovered a plot to assassinate the king. He told Esther about the conspiracy, and she reported it to Xerxes, giving credit to Mordecai. The plot was thwarted, and Mordecai's act of kindness was preserved in the chronicles of the king. At this time, the highest, king's highest official was a wicked man named Haman. He was an Agagite, the scriptures tell us. Now, knowing Agagite means he was, he was descendant of King Agag and a king of the Amalekites. And, and God had told you know, Saul and Samuel, you need to just wipe all these people out. They're wicked people. And Saul kept uh, the king alive and some of the sheep and so forth. And eventually Samuel killed the king. So this guy somehow had a descendants. Haman. So therefore you would think Haman hated the Jews, especially Mordecai, because he refused to bow, to him, bow down to him. Haman devised a scheme to have every Jew in Persia killed. You would think that, based on history. Through trickery, the king agreed to have his plan annihilate the Jews on a specific day, a day where they kind of, they picked a day by just rolling the dice, and that, that the dice means per is the, is the word that was used, so we'll see how that comes in a little bit later on. When Mordecai learned of the plot, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and cried out with a bitter cry. As the news spread across the provinces, there was mourning and weeping. Esther heard of Mordecai's lamenting and sent for him. She then learned about the future genocide of the Jews. Mordecai challenged her to go to the king as an appeal for, those, for the people. And with those famous words, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you may have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai was saying... I see something here that just makes sense that God was involved. But the sober reality was that if she uh, went to the king without being summoned, she could lose her life immediately. Esther urged all the Jews to fast and pray. And she said the famous words, if I perish, I perish. And she approached the king. Thankfully, he immediately received her. Her only request to him was that he and Haman would attend a dinner that night. Curious of her intentions, the king, at the meal's end, again asked her what it is that she wanted. She asked for another dinner engagement the next night with the both of them. Haman was thrilled and honored to be the only one invited to dine with the king and the queen. But on the way home, Haman was enraged at Mordecai, again not bowing down to him. With evil counsel, he decided to hang Mordecai the next day on a 75-foot gallows built for for, uh, Mordecai. But God, but that night, the king could not sleep. And looking for something to read, he requested the chronicles that he had written. And it just so happened that the section he started reading was about how Mordecai had saved his life and that nothing had been done about that. Moved the next day, he summoned Haman and asked him what should be done for the man the king delights to honor. 
Haman thought to himself, well, who the king would delight to honor but me? Haman suggested, well, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead on a horse through the square of the city, proclaiming, thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Pleased, the king said to Haman, hurry. Take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and, so, and do so with Mordecai, the Jew, who sits in the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. After this occurred, Mordecai returned to the, Lord, the king's gate. But Haman hurried home, mourning with his head covered. His wife, Zeresh, heard and said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him but will surely fall before him. That night, Esther hosted Xerxes and Haman for a second banquet. Asked by the king, she now revealed her Jewish heritage and exposed Haman's diabolical plot where she and the Jews would all be exterminated. Furious, the king stepped away to his gardens. Haman made aggressive appeals to the queen, but when the king returned, he interpreted Haman's actions as assaulting his queen. Enraged, the king ordered Haman to be hung on the gallows, the very same gallows Haman had built for Mordecai. The king issued a new edict so that the Jews could defend and defeat their enemies throughout the kingdom on the very day that they were supposed to be exterminated. Mordecai was elevated in position to the second in the kingdom. The Jews were respected and fears, and this historic event is still celebrated by the Jews as the Feast of Purim. Worship team, you can come at this time. You know, what's really curious about this book is that in this book, the name of God is not even mentioned anywhere. Like, God's, God's name isn't even in the whole book. Because this anonymous author uses techniques to, to show God is in this without using his name. Look for God's activity. Odd circumstances, ironic reversals, we see God's purposes at work behind the scenes. God is at work. Esther is perhaps one of hundreds, if not thousands, added to the king's harem. Mordecai was made an official gatekeeper just so that he would just so happen to overhear the plot against the king. Mordecai's loyalty recorded in the Chronicles had never been rewarded, had never been nothing happened until. It was read during that sleepless night. Haman's anger led him to build a gallows 75 feet tall. You see, we could, if our eyes were enlightened, if our eyes were sensitive, we could see in that situation that, that this queen was set up over hundreds, if not thousands, of other women for a purpose. And when they saw that purpose and they saw the opportunity, though with all the danger that they saw, you know, Esther called all the nation, pray and fast with me. Let's jump into this. Three days and three nights of praying and fasting. She was miraculously delivered when she went into the king. It's interesting, though, 
when he came to that, that first banquet, you know, it was the same situation where she was just, you know, having this meal and he's begging her, tell, tell me what it is you really want, tell it is you really want. And however we don't have recorded in our scriptures, she stopped and said, I really want you to come back for another meal tomorrow. How is it that she saw that? How is it that she knew that? Because there's a lot of things that are about ready to fall into place that day, in, 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 including the honoring of Mordecai. Haman was furious. The king couldn't sleep. It happened, he happened to read the Chronicles. The next morning, Haman would be humiliated, forced to honor Mordecai. His wife even saw the evidence of the Jewish God working. Haman was hung on the gallows made for Mordecai. Haman the Agagite family and all, his, all, his en- all their enemies, all the people that were the enemies of God were all exterminated because they partnered with God. The elevation of Mordecai, the salvation of the Jewish nation, defeat of all their enemies, and people were amazed. And people are still amazed and still are still telling the story, this account, and they are celebrating it as a Jewish people at the festival of Purim. All throughout scripture, God takes the initiative. He always comes to a person, he reveals himself and his activity, and the revelation is always an invitation to you and to me to join him. Next week, actually, we're gonna be hearing about more. How do you know, how do you hear, how do you see what God's doing? So we're gonna learn next week more of this, you know, how, how can I be more engaged in how God is working, how God is speaking, how God is prompting me to get involved. So you you got to be here next week. Bring somebody with you, too. But our big idea, God is always working around you and invites you to join him. That's your life. That's your opportunity. That's his glory, and that will be your joy. So as we prepare for communion, here at Grace Community, we offer communion to anyone who's put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is an opportunity for us to just remember him together. But in communion, we are, we are remembering, we are recognizing the greatest work of God that there is. God giving his own son for our salvation. God giving his own son to bring us into his family. God giving us his own son to save us. This is only a work that Jesus can do. Paying for our sin, paying for our debts. But a work that we should note. If you are not a Christian, God is revealing the gospel to you. God is revealing Jesus to you because he wants you to respond to him. He doesn't want you to put him off. He doesn't want you to say, well, that's interesting. I'll think about that. But if, if you, in your spirit, in your heart, you know, you know that God has offered you the gift of salvation through trust in Jesus Christ, then you should, you should respond to what God's doing. God's doing that with you. God's calling you. God's speaking to you and wants you to respond to him. An appropriate response would be to humble yourself. Lord, I need a Savior. I need you to be, to, uh, 
to, to, to pay for my sins. I, I, don't, I can't pay for my sins. I've turned to other things. I've turned to myself. I believe in you. I believe that you are God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. You paid for my sins. I believe that you were buried and you rose the dead, from the dead. And I want to know you and follow you the rest of my life. That would be an appropriate response. But for those of us who see this great work of God, this giving of his own son, for us, it's a time for us to thank him, to remember him and to thank him. And that's what we're doing here with our communion at this time. So if you'll take your elements. Lord, before you left, you knew that we need a regular reminder of your life, your death, your burial, your resurrection. And so, Lord, you took bread at the table and you said, this is my body which is given for you, which is broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. So, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving your body for us. And we remember, Lord, that you also took the cup. Lord, bless this to help us remember that our lives were not purchased with silver or gold or any such thing, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And without blood, there's no, there's no payment for sin. There's no other way that we could be paid for sin except for the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. So Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood for us.